But as we finish up our study of Galatians, I want to take just a moment to extend a special thanks to those of you who took some time to write this week and share with me some of the things that really stood out most in our study of Galatians. Not only was it an encouraging thing for me to read and reread your letters all throughout this week, it really helped clarify some of the key truths that it's important that we don't miss out of when we think about our study of Galatians. It was also interesting to identify a common struggle that was repeated in every single letter I received without exception. It was the struggle with self-reliance. Now, it was called different things. Some called it control issues. Some called it legalism or self-righteousness. Some looked at it as the, the fear of man trying to do good in order to please others. But in every case, it, it was trusting ourselves more than we trust in God. How many of y'all struggle with that? <laughs> I think that sin of self-reliance is common to everyone I know, myself included. And it was certainly a theme throughout our study of Galatians. Carrie Rose explained the struggle really well when she said this. She said, when I try to live the Christian life in my own strength, I am crushed by the weight of guilt and shame that comes from all my inadequacy. In other words, do better, try harder, <laughs> just doesn't work. And it never will, which is why Paul's letter to the Galatians is so incredibly liberating. It brings us back to the message of the gospel, a message that is centered on what Christ has done, not what we must do. I love the way you summed it up, Megan, when you said, God's grace is abundant. His gospel is complete. His freedom is perfect. His work is sufficient. There you go. That's the book of Galatians, right? Thank you for that. You could have just come up here and we would have been done. But as we finish up this morning, I want to encourage you to take some of these key truths and let them sink deeply into your heart. As we finish up our letter, Paul is going to give one final message that he believes is the central message that he doesn't want us to miss. But as we think about the study as a whole, I want you to consider that those truths that we learned along the way are like stakes that you drive into the ground. Maybe it's the truth of grace, and you're going to drive that stake into the ground. Maybe it's righteousness that comes through faith alone, and you're going to drive that stake into the ground. It may be the, the encouragement to bear one another's burdens, and you know from personal experience how important that is, so you're going to drive that stake into the ground. Maybe it's the fruit of the Spirit, walking by the Spirit so that you don't carry out the desires of the flesh. You're going to drive that stake into the ground. And now in our passage this morning, Paul is going to bring in the cement truck. All right? He's going to back it up and he's going to pour concrete on the ground to cover and secure all those stakes in the ground. And he's going to teach us that the power of the cross is what holds it all together. That all those truths are secure because of what Christ has done on the cross. So before we look at that together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we open up your word this morning, we want to do so humbly. We want to do so with teachable hearts. We want to recognize the sin that is so easily entangles us. 
And we want to stop in this moment and fix our eyes on you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, as we look to you and we center our attention on the cross, would you help us see how the power of the cross is what penetrates our lives and secures the truth of your promises like nothing else can. May we understand anew the significance, the importance, the beauty of that sacrifice. So we pray this in your name, O Lord. Amen. So turn to Galatians chapter 6 as we finish up this letter from Paul to the Galatians. And if you would... Begin reading with me in verse 11. So Galatians chapter 6, verse 11. Paul, in closing this letter, says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised, simply that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. During Paul's day, there were people who were employed to take dictation, kind of like a secretary. They were called an amanuensis. And so up until this point, Paul has been speaking and the amanuensis has been writing. But in our passage, Paul tells us he now takes up the pen himself. And he's going to write these final words with his own hand, and he says he does so with large letters. In my mind, when Paul is saying that, I believe it's the modern-day equivalent of bold print, large letters, something that he doesn't want us to miss. In fact, these final words may be some of his most important words in all the letter to the point that Paul is saying, if you don't hear anything else, please make sure you hear this. He first turns his attention to these false teachers, the opponents in the Galatians church, and he exposes their true motivation. Look again at verse 12 where he says, Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised. The word compel here is the idea of manipulation. It's using guilt to gain compliance, making you feel uncomfortable if you don't fall in line. In the end, it's more of a, of a threat than it is an actual invitation. And they want you to fall in line because it makes them look good. Look at what he says. He says, they desire to make a good showing. They want to look good in the eyes of other people, in particular, people of power and people of influence. When I think about these false teachers in Galatians, I see them as a crooked salesman. Okay? A crooked salesman is someone who's going to try and sell you something that's not necessarily a good product, but they want to get the credit so that they can get the commission. It really is nothing about selling you anything worthwhile. They just want to get the credit so that they can get the commission. That's a crooked salesman. The false teachers in Galatia are crooked salesmen. They're using other people to gain influence with those in power. That's how they avoid persecution. They're they're selling a way of salvation that Paul is saying avoids the offense of the cross. It was a customized religion based on a culturally acceptable set of rules. And let's just be honest here. It is a whole lot easier, much more appealing 
to the average person to follow a set of rules than it is to surrender your life. Right? That's why their message was so appealing. That's why so many people were interested in what they had to say. And that same thing is true even today. It's a promise of salvation based on self-reliance. Trusting in yourself and what you must do instead of relying on Christ and what He has done. To avoid the offense of the cross, they leave no room. They leave no room to accomplish things or to see what Christ has done. They take the focus of what happened on the cross and put the attention on what you need to do. See, the cross is an offense because it tells us that there's no room for self-reliance. It puts us in a place of total and complete dependence upon what Christ has done. The cross proclaims very clearly that there is nothing that you can do to earn salvation. There is nothing that you can do to secure salvation. There is nothing that you can do to complete salvation. All those things are only possible because of what is accomplished at the cross. So when you come to the cross, you ultimately have a choice to make. Your salvation is either based in what you must do or it's a reliance on what Christ has done. And it's all or none. Because if you take matters into your own hands, Paul is very clear, you have to take it all. Not just some, not a customized list of rules. You have to take everything. The, the law by design demands perfect compliance. Flawless obedience. But like any good crooked salesman, the false teachers are withholding very important information. They failed to mention the curse of condemnation that comes when you don't keep all the rules. The Bible says, cursed is everyone who does not abide by the law. To fail even in one thing, Paul says, is to fail in everything. Think about that. When you think about that, you begin to realize the point that is made all throughout Galatians, and that is the law was never intended to bring righteousness. It was intended to reveal our sin. But the false teachers are ignoring these biblical truths in order to sell their deception. In fact, Paul says they don't even keep the law themselves. They were promoting a means of salvation without complete surrender. By suggesting that there's something that you must do to complete the work that Christ has done. It's that message that we hear being echoed even in our culture today. Jesus plus something. You fill in the blank. The false teachers are not well-meaning Christians. Okay, please get that. These are not well-meaning Christians who are just misguided in their theology. These are wolves in sheep's clothing. Selling an assurance of salvation based on selective Obedience. Jesus is simply a means by which they get the sell. Because all they need is the credit to gain the commission. They don't care if it's a good product or not. Look at how Paul continues in verse 14. But may it never be 
that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything nor circumcision, but a new creation. Paul looks at the example of the false teachers and he says, may it never be. It is a bold, it is a strong statement saying that under no circumstances should we ever gain assurance from our compliance. Never, ever, ever. May it never be. Salvation is never, and I'm using that word as intended, I mean never. Salvation is never found through perfect compliance. Salvation is always, and I do mean that word as well, always found through perfect reliance. See the difference? Salvation is never found through perfect compliance. It's always found through perfect reliance. We boast not in what we have done, but what has Christ accomplished. If you think about the last words that Jesus spoke, they tell an incredible story. He said, it is what? Finished. Finished, complete, done, taken care of, paid in full. It is finished. So when we look to the cross of Christ, we need to see complete forgiveness. Okay, you get that? Complete forgiveness. One sacrifice for all sin, for all who believe, for all time. That's what we need to see. Complete forgiveness. When we look at the cross, we need to see atonement. We need to see that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. When we look at the cross, we need to see redemption where Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? Paul explains by taking that curse upon himself. At the cross, we need to see the finished work of Jesus Christ. Not a work that requires our assistance, but instead one that demands our worship. The cross is a completed work because Jesus is a perfect sacrifice. It is a completed work because he is a perfect sacrifice. We don't have to be flawless because he is. That's why Paul tells the Corinthians, I have determined to know nothing but what? Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Okay, here's one of the greatest theologians of all times, and he boils it down to one central truth. I have determined to know nothing else but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. In our passage that Paul goes on and explains that through the cross, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What that means is that I no longer find my value and worth in this world. I find it in the cross. I don't need the approval of others if I live in the approval of God because of what Christ accomplished in the cross. I don't need to prove my worth if my worth has already been proven at the cross. I have been crucified to the world and the world has been crucified to me. See, the world is filled with people who are trying to sell you a message of happiness and fulfilling life. They show you these images of a, of a perfect fa uh, family, a, a carefree retirement, 
They show you these images of a fulfilling job and successful career, but I need to tell you, it's false advertising. Because none of that's true apart from Christ. We all know that there are people who have had the very best that this world has to offer, and they're miserable. It didn't give them what their heart was looking for most. I would go so far as to say that the power of the cross, it teaches us that our circumstances are not what ultimately determines our joy. The power of the cross is what allows us to find joy, to see that Christ is sufficient, even in the midst of an imperfect family. Even in the midst of financial struggles. Even in the midst of a job that's difficult from day to day. Our God is faithful. And He is present in the midst of all those things. Christ is sufficient because it is finished. We see that from our passage last week that one of the ways that God's provision takes place is through His people. That's why we're called to bear one another's burdens. That's why we're called to restore one another with gentleness. That's why we're called to seek to do good to one another because very often God's provision is provided through His people. We have a responsibility to one another. What that means is we don't have to live in this world with the fear that we're missing something. We don't have to live in the world, even though there's that message in the world that says that you need all these things to have a happy and fulfilled life. We can rest assured that despite that advertising, that when you have Christ, you have all you need, and it is sufficient. We are crucified to the world, and the world is crucified to us. In other words, we no longer live according to the course of this world. Our life is not controlled by selfish desires. That was accomplished at the cross. We no longer endure, indulge in the desires of the flesh and of the mind because that's who we were apart from Christ. As Paul tells the Romans, we have been crucified with Christ. and We are no longer slaves to sin. Here's the key. We may not always make the right choice. Everyone in this room knows that. But the power of the cross gives us the power to choose. The power to choose to rely on Christ more than we trust ourselves. That was accomplished through the cross. Because we have been set free from our slavery to sin. That's why Paul says that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Jesus is the never-ending supply of righteousness by which we now live. It is His power that is perfected in our weakness. He gives us strength when we're weary. He gives us hope when we are hopeless. Nothing in this world compares to the greatness of knowing Jesus Christ our Lord. You got that? Nothing in this world compares to the greatness of knowing Jesus Christ our Lord. That's why Paul says in that passage that circumcision or uncircumcision means nothing. In other words, it's no benefit. It doesn't validate our faith. It doesn't strengthen our walk. It doesn't draw us closer to God. What matters most, Paul says, is that we are a new creation. 
Now, he's used that term in other places, right? He tells the Corinthians, you are a new creation in Christ. And what that means is that old things have gone and that new things have come. As we talked about last week, your life is being reshaped from this inward selfish curve to this outward love for one another. He tells the Ephesians that you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that you can walk in them. He tells the Colossians that we put aside the old self with its evil practices and we put on this new self, this new creation that is being renewed into the image of Christ. We are being transformed so that our lives exhibit the qualities of what we see in our Savior. Not because we are inherently good, but only because of His incredible grace. Transforming our lives. Here's the key. The work is complete. We've got to understand that point before anything else matters. Because after that, we begin to realize that our goal in life is to learn how to live in the truth that the work is complete. How to apply the gospel, that gospel truth to our everyday lives. Lives that are reshaped by the power of the cross. Becoming a new creation. Empowered by the Spirit. Through a life-giving relationship with God, through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what we see when we talk about the power of the cross. Look at how he continues in verse 16. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. And upon the Israel of God, for now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. When our life is defined by the cross, we are covered by the mercy and peace that comes from knowing God. And it makes sense why Paul would combine those two truths, mercy and peace. It is the mercy of God that brings the peace of God. Why? Because we are no longer objects of His wrath, right? His mercy has been extended upon us. Why? Because Jesus took the wrath that we deserved upon Himself. That's what gives us peace. We are members of His family. We are sons and daughters adopted into the family of God, given an inheritance that is eternal. That's why Paul identifies Christians as the Israel of God. As Paul explained earlier in his letter, those who have faith in Christ are sons of Abraham. Right? Those who have faith in Christ are are sons of Abraham. The church is the people that are set apart to carry out God's purpose in the world. And Peter describes that in that passage that you're familiar with. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, But you are, a royal, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. That's who we are as the church. That's what He's called us to. And when we function according to God's design, our lives bring, bring blessing and not a burden. I love the Scripture because of its honesty, and Paul is being real honest here. They are causing him trouble in this moment. They are causing him trouble because he cares. He cares about the fact that there are false teachers in their midst telling them a false gospel and leading them astray, and that matters to Paul. 
He feels the disunity of the deception that comes from these false teachers. Paul has dedicated his life for them to flourish in their faith. And it's cost him dearly, both physically and emotionally. He says that he bears the brand marks. That's, that's literal. There are marks on his body. Let me tell you where that is in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. Paul explains what some of those marks look like. Listen to what he says, beginning in verse 24. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through my many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure, and here's the key, upon me, of concern for all of the churches. Who is weak without me being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? You see, that's the trouble he feels. Not just the suffering he endured for the sake of the gospel, but the emotional burden that he cared for the people who were being led astray. And yet, despite that burden, despite he's writing to people who are causing him trouble, he ends the letter with love. What does he say? He says, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Paul's goal is ultimately their highest good, no matter what expense that might be to him. And he understands that their highest good is found in the grace of God. So may you experience it in its fullness. As we think about how Paul has centered the message of Galatians in this final passage on the understanding of the power of the cross. I think it would be good for us to <clears throat> take a moment as we finish up, as long as my voice holds out, to understand what it means to apply that finished work of the cross to our daily lives. Can we do that? I think it's important, as I said earlier, to understand that that work is complete, that it is finished. That there's nothing that needs to be done to add to it. The question is, how do we live out of it in our daily lives? And there's a passage in Philippians that I think really helpful to this. So we're going to close with this. Turn to Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Paul writing to the Philippians. <clears throat> says, so then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Earlier in that same passage, Paul explains how Christ was obedient even to the point of death on a cross. He explained how that cross completed a finished work there's one sacrifice for all sins, for all time, for all who believe. So then Paul, knowing that truth, then turns to the Philippians and says, work out your salvation. And I want you to notice something. He didn't say work for your salvation, did he? He said work out your salvation. 
the righteousness of Christ has been credited to your account. And there is nothing you can do to earn more than what you already have. Do you get that? It's so important. The righteousness of Christ has been credited to your account. And so there is nothing you can do to earn more than what you already have. The work is complete. Your salvation is secure. Your sins are forgiven. You are one in whom Christ dwells and delights. You belong to the unshakable kingdom of God. The kingdom is not in trouble and neither are you. That's the power of the cross. As a Christian, we are called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We need to understand as we hear those words, that's not a, a cower in the corner kind of fear. And the reason we know that's true is because God hasn't been harsh to us. He's been gracious to us. And so this fear and trembling is more of, of reverence and awe. It, it's the sincere desire to give glory to the one who has been so good to us. You see, the power of the cross is working out our salvation by walking in the Spirit. As we glorify God, we do it not because of what we do for Him, but by living out of what He's done for us. One of the things I mentioned in the beginning was how much encouragement I got from reading your letters. And I'll tell you, as I've told you before, there is nothing more encouraging in my life than to hear the stories of what God is doing in your life. Nothing. It's why John writes in 1 John, he says, I have no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in the truth. I believe he's saying the exact same thing. And I also believe that God's greatest joy is the very same thing. When he sees us living out of the truth of what he has accomplished. In verse 12, Paul says, we work out our salvation. And then look in verse 13. Because of his work in our lives. In other words, what happens in our actions is a result of what God is doing in our heart. Including, as he says, both the desire and the power to carry out his will. See, that's the power of the cross. Working out our salvation by walking in the Spirit. Obedience flows out of an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. The work is finished. We are complete in Christ. The Bible says that we have everything we need for life and godliness. The Christian life is not about finding something we're missing. It's about learning how to live in what we already have. The Christian life is not about finding something you're missing. It's about living out of the truth of what you already have. If that's true, and I believe it is, doesn't that kind of reshape the way most of us, myself included, spend our time in prayer? Because what do we often pray about? Things we believe we don't have. Will you give me? Will you provide for me? Will you help me? But if what I said is true, and I believe it is because of the authority of Scripture in proclaiming the completed work of Christ, we already have everything we need. Our goal is to live in what we've been given. This is not a treasure hunt. You have the treasure. 
The treasure is Jesus Christ, and most importantly, the treasure has you. You are known by Him. You belong to Him. You are secure in Him. And when you live in Him, you have everything you need. So our prayer needs to shift from, Lord, give me something I don't have, to, Lord, help me live in what you've already provided, because I believe it's true. See the difference? I was really struck by this idea at the end of our passage this morning because I began to realize as I was speaking those words out loud, (laughs) I need to internalize those words in my heart. I need to rethink how I see God as somebody who's providing something for me because I'm missing out on something I don't have and see Him as somebody who's saying, I've given you everything. Just trust in me and you'll have what you need. Rely on me more than you rely on yourself. Find that I am sufficient. That's the power of the cross. So as we finish up this morning, we're going to sing a song, ironically or not so ironically, entitled, The Power of the Cross. It's a great message of what Christ accomplished. And so let me encourage you, as we sing this song together, as we wrap up our time in Galatians, let the message of this song be the cement that secures the truth and promises of God, those stakes in the ground that you have driven. And let's be convinced together in our hearts that the work of Christ is complete. It is finished. It is done. And then let us grow in the grace and the understanding that He is calling us to encourage each other so that we collectively and increasingly live out of what He has accomplished. Not because we're missing something, but in the knowledge and truth that we have everything we need. Because we have Jesus, and more importantly, Jesus has us, right? That's it. The power of the cross. Complete. Finished. What a blessing to know that the Christian life is not an attempt to discover something that you don't have. It's to live in the wealth that you've been given. And we can encourage each other because we need to be reminded of those truths that are so easily forgotten. We need to help each other point each other to those stakes in the ground that that cross of Christ cements and secures for all eternity. When you have Jesus, you have all you need. When he has you, you have nothing to worry. So as we carry on and go about our daily lives, let's make sure that we are living in the completed work of Christ, knowing that you belong to Christ. He dwells and delights in you. That we all collectively live in the unshakable kingdom of God. And the kingdom is not in trouble, and neither are we. The work is finished, and we are learning to live by the grace of God and all that he's made possible. So let's go and do that together. Amen? Have a great day.